Hey, good morning. You guys doing okay? That's good. We're going to do that again. This is how this works. I'm going to say you're doing okay, and you're going to pretend like that's the most exciting thing you've heard this morning. All right, here we go. Hey, you guys doing okay? Okay, that's what we're talking about. I'm Jeff. So glad to be here. My favorite title actually is I Am Mike's Dad, and very proud of him and Pastor Ernest and all the things that are happening at Front Range. I was at the uh, groundbreaking a few weeks ago, and it was just amazing to see what God has done over almost 10 years here in Castle Rock. I yesterday was at my granddaughter. She's in a musical over at Mesa Middle School. And I remember the first, very first Sunday we had service in the same place that they were doing that musical yesterday. And just to see what God has done, how many of you have come and been a part of it. I'm very, very excited about it. And one of the things I love about Front Range is the core of who Front Range is has never changed since day one. Front Range has always been about helping you build community, discovering your purpose, and growing in your faith in Jesus. And that has always been the case and always will be the case. And if you'd like to know a little bit more about Front Range, get to know some of the leaders, next week, 6 o'clock over in the Ministry Center, going to have next steps. And it's a great way to connect and get to know a little bit more about the church. Now, I'm going to give a disclaimer at the beginning. I don't know that I've ever done this when preaching before, but... Um, I am likely, very likely, to cough and or sneeze multiple times through the message today. Normally, I wouldn't do that, but that's going to happen today because I have contracted what a man would call a possible fatal disease and a woman would call a slight case of the sniffles, okay? I don't have COVID, I know that, but I do have a little bit of a running nose and a cough, and I apologize, um, but that is probably going to happen. We are going to dive back into our series that we're in on the book of James. I love the book of James. I love the way he writes. James is very, very, uh, uh, sort of simple. It's not simple, but it's very plain. It's right out there. You don't have to try to translate it or interpret it. He just dives right in and he, 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 he goes right to the heart of the problem. And I, I love reading through the book of James. Two weeks ago, Pastor Johnny kicked off the series talking, talking about the pursuit of wisdom and how do we find true wisdom. Last week, um, Pastor Ernest in the blizzard uh, talked about dynamic faith and how do we create dynamic faith. I watched that online. I'd really encourage you if you weren't in last week or weren't watching online to go back and watch Pastor Ernest's sermon. Today, we're going to get into the third chapter of the book of James. If you brought a Bible with you, you might want to just open it up to that third chapter. We're literally just going to walk through the first 12 verses of that. Um, if you have it on a device, you might want to bring it up there. Or most of the, I think all the actually um, verses that we'll talk about today will be on the screen. Now, James 3, if you have an NIV Bible, it has little headings of different sections. And the heading for James 3, 1 through 12 is taming the tongue. And I don't, I don't know where you're at. For me, that is one of the biggest challenges I have. My tongue, my words get me into more trouble than any other part of my life. I have this special gift. I say it's a spiritual gift. My wife says it's not the gift of sarcasm. And I find that the little piece of sarcasm can make any situation worse. And so I just have this ability to plug it in in the wrong place and take a tough situation and make it really bad. Now, kind of a simple example of this recently in my life, as recent as Monday, uh, my wife's car broke down, took it to the shop, mechanic looked at it for a while, I came out and he said, can't figure out what's wrong with it, don't know what to do. 
And in my deep wisdom and understanding, I said, well, how about if I just take it up to a mountain and push it off the edge? That didn't help the situation as much as you think it would. Like he didn't respond with love and gratefulness to my brilliant sarcasm in that moment. I cannot tell you how many times that my tongue has gotten me into trouble. Maybe you can relate. You, you make that comment, you put it out there, and then it's out there and you, you, you just wish you could bring it back. You, if there were some ways just to erase the words that you said, but you can't. They're out there. I, I thought that a fun way to start the sermon today is right there on your row or in your section, why don't you share the worst thing you've ever said? Like just real quick. Don't do that. No, no, stop doing that. People are like, oh, okay, no. <laughs> don't repeat it, Right? I wonder, though, if you have that same kind of challenge. We would actually be here for a while if we all shared the worst thing that we ever said. And here's the problem. Is our words have incredible staying power. In fact, do you remember something that maybe a teacher, a parent, a coach said, a negative thing they said to you when you were a child, and, and you still remember it today? We do a lot of our message planning here at Front Range in a collaborative group, and as we were planning this message, several of the staff guys said, yeah, I remember. One of them said, I, I remember when someone very young in my, early in my life told me, you just don't have any talent. You're never going to excel there. You don't have talent. Another one said, I remember when my mom, and she said she was joking. She said, you know, the only reason we had kids is so they could do chores. And he said, I still remember that. It still sticks. Words stick. Or maybe for you, it's not something that Someone said years ago, maybe it was something a parent or a spouse or a coworker said last week, because words can be incredibly hurtful. They, they have staying power and they hurt. Someone said, be careful with your words. Once they are said, they can only be forgiven, not forgotten. Let me repeat that. Be careful with your words, because once they have been said, they can only be forgiven, not forgotten. When I was a kid, way back in the late 1900s, there was a saying that, we, a saying that went around. Uh, some of you guys remember this, sticks and stones can break my bones, but what words can never hurt me. And what I've realized as an adult is that sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can crush my soul. And so that's why today in James chapter 3, I think it's an important topic that we're going to talk about is how to control our tongue. James 3 is all about controlling our tongue. So before we dive into that scripture, would you guys pray with me? Father, I just thank you so much for the opportunity to speak here. It's always so humbling to represent you and to speak your word. Lord, I pray today that you will speak through me, Lord. And Lord, that what I do will just simply illuminate what you've already said in, in your word, Lord. Lord, I pray that you'll give us wisdom and know how to control what we say. Lord, we ask it in your name. Amen. So we dive into James 3.1, and James says this, Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. I love this little nugget from James. Like I said, he just says it. This, says, this sentence, by the way, has nothing to do with what he said <coughs> at the end of chapter 2. It has really little to do with what he says next. He just wants to make sure, hey, teachers, by the way, if you think you're big stuff, like you get to stand on the stage and you get to yell at people for 30 minutes, well, you are going to be judged very, very strictly by what you say. It's always helpful for me anytime I get on a stage or I teach people in any format to remember this verse from James. Hey, just cool it, buddy. You're going to be judged. So that helps me. Uh, let's go to the next verse. 
James 3.2, we all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. James is saying here, it's, it's all of us. He, he didn't say y'all or you guys. He said me and you and everyone has problems with this area we're going to talk about. In fact, he says, if there's anyone in the world that can always keep their body in check, that person is perfect. And James is saying there are no perfect people. So this challenge with our tongue, it's universal. It's all of us. We need help. So let's get to James's keys on how to control our tongue. Pick it up in verse 3. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal, or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. James is saying words matter. Words start wars and end wars. Words build marriages and destroy marriages. Words encourage children and they discourage children. What James is saying is that our tongue is the most powerful muscle in our bodies, more powerful than our arms, our legs, our heart. The tongue is the most powerful because it can do the most damage. He continues in verse 5. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, listen to this, sets the whole course of one's life on fire and is itself set on fire by hell. Have you ever had that experience? Have you ever set your life, your relational life, your work life on fire with your words? Maybe it was a sarcastic comment that you made to your spouse, and once you said it, you're like, why did I say that? Maybe it was a text message that you didn't think through to a coworker, and once it's out there, you can't bring it back. Maybe you shared in a public setting a personal story that your family didn't want you to share, and, and there's no way to pull that back. You've set a part of your life on fire with your tongue. James is very clear. James says the tongue sets the world on fire, and he says that your tongue itself is set on fire by hell. He goes on, he says, all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. It's a sobering thought. James is saying that the tongue is Satan's best weapon. He sets your tongue on fire, which then sets your world on fire. And then he makes this statement, no human can tame the tongue. Now, this, this section, like I said, in the NIV Bible, it says taming the tongue. So obviously, James has three more verses to give us some incredible tips on how to tame the tongue. So let's look at those last three verses of this section. <clears throat> with the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? <coughs> and with that, James is done. That's the end of his section called Taming the Tongue. There's not much help there, right? Why is that? When I have 
uh, heard people speak on this passage, even in the past when I've spoke on this passage, it usually could be named three keys to taming your tongue or simple ways to tame your tongue. And yet, James in no way says this is how to tame your tongue. Why? Because the book of James is not a self-help book. The Bible is not a self-help book. The Bible and James is about how life really works. To deal with our tongue, we have to first embrace what James says about the tongue, not here's three ways to tame it. What he says is, number one, I have to embrace the fact my tongue is a massively destructive weapon. I have to understand the thing that I have in my home that is most dangerous to everyone in my house, everyone in my neighborhood, everyone in my community is my tongue. It's a dangerous, dangerous weapon. The second thing James says in this passage is my words are inspired by Satan. My words are set on fire by Satan. It is a destructive weapon, and it's Satan's most powerful, most potent way to damage my own soul and the people around me. And the third thing James says is, I cannot tame my tongue. All of my effort, all of my um, you know, tips that I learn, all of the self-control I get, there's nothing wrong with any of that, but James says, in the end, it's like a, a, a campfire, you know, when you put it out, but there's still some coals in there kind of smoldering, and a wind comes up and it'll kick back up into full flame. That's what James is saying about our tongues, that, yeah, we can get it smoldering, we can get it quieter, but when the right circumstances come, it'll fan back into flame our tongues. We can't control our tongues. All right, that's the message for today. Thanks for coming. I'm sure you're encouraged. We'll sing a couple songs and we'll head out and slice each other up with our words. No, there is good news. There is good news. It's, the important thing, though, is that we understand what James says he's very, very serious about. But if we go back to what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 12, it helps us understand what it is that makes the tongue so dangerous. Jesus said this, For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. A good man brings good things out of the good stored in him, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. The mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Our words are not the problem. Our words are a symptom of a deeper problem. It's kind of like this. If I went to the, <coughs> if I went to the ER, if I went over to Castle Rock Adventist this afternoon, and I went into the ER and I said, I got to be honest with you guys, my, my chest really hurts. Like it it feels like an elephant is sitting on my chest and this side of my body, it just, it's all numb and I feel really nauseous and I'm dizzy and do you guys have a pill or something you can give me to make me feel better? I just don't feel good. The doctor in the ER would not treat my dizziness, my nausea, my numbness, nor my chest pain at all. What would they do? They would hook me up to an EKG because those are the signs of a heart attack. And the doctor would know those, those are symptoms and they matter, but it matters much more what's going on with Jeff's heart. And that's what Jesus is saying about the tongue. We don't have a tongue problem. We have a heart problem. And all of our effort to control our tongue and control our words and not say those things without dealing first with what's going on in our heart, it's just not going to work. I have a friend who says this. He says, how long are you going to work on what's not the problem before you work on what is the problem? 
So for the rest of the time we have, I just want to talk about this idea of a heart problem that manifests its symptoms are in how I use my words. <coughs> There's two or three kind of potential heart problems that I deal with myself. Maybe you deal with them as well. The first challenge I have is sometimes my heart is just thirsty. I have a thirsty heart. My heart is like a, a sponge. And you know, a sponge, when you let it dry out, it gets what? Really dry, really brittle. My heart gets like that too. When my heart is dry, here's, here's what I notice. That's when I become very sarcastic. Like different than just kidding around with friends, I just become a sarcasm machine. I notice that my empathy level goes way down when my heart is dry. And, and I also know that my criticism level goes way up. And so I become critical of everyone around me, my family or the other drivers or the coworkers. A lot of criticism, very little empathy, a lot of sarcasm. When that happens, I have to step back and go, you know what, Jeff? Your problem isn't what you're saying. Your problem is what's going on inside of you. You have a very dry heart. And the way I have to hydrate my heart is what Jesus calls being connected to the vine. In John chapter 15, Jesus says this, Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. We have to stay connected to the vine, stay connected to, the Jesus, or to Jesus. And when I feel myself drying out, it's because I haven't stayed connected to the vine. I ask myself a couple of questions when I feel that happening. First of all, am I spending significant time each day with Jesus? I mean, not just a quick prayer in the morning, not just a few words mumbled in the car on the way to work, not maybe a quick prayer over a meal, but am I actually taking a chunk of time out of my day and just spending it with Jesus? I notice that when I start to get sarcastic and I start to get mean with my words, a lot of times it's because I have not been prioritizing time with Jesus. My heart is thirsty, it's dry. The other thing I have to ask myself, am I getting nourishment from God's Word? Like, am I connected to the vine through Jesus? Am I getting nourishment through the Word? Not, not just a snack once in a while, a, a verse of the day, or a couple, a couple of verses later on. I mean, th those are fine. But for me, for my heart, I have to get a big four-course meal on a regular basis. I have to dig deep into God's Word and to ask what is it saying? What does it mean? What is God saying to me? One of the best tools here at Front Range is the Series Hub. Every series, this one included, if you go online, you go to the messages, click uh, down, you'll find the James series, and there's a lot of resources in there that help you get that nourishment that you need. Now, I know we talk about it all the time, and I've, I've been practicing these things for decades, and yet over and over again in my life, I will find that my heart is thirsty and brittle and dry, and I have to go, Jeff, are you doing the basics? Are you spending time on a regular basis, daily basis with Jesus, and are you daily getting nourishment from God's Word? So when, I, when words are a problem, often first it's a thirsty heart. Sometimes it's a divided heart. I have a divided heart. King James, when he wrote one of the Psalms, he says this about a divided heart. <coughs> Teach me your way, Lord, that I may rely on your faithfulness. 
Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. David's saying, I have a divided heart. God, I need you to give me an undivided heart. What is a divided heart? A divided heart is when I say outwardly that I am focused on God and his will. I'm a Christian. I'm a Christ follower. I tell people around me, this is who I am. I go to church. I, I put God first in my life. But in reality, I spend a lot of time actually focused on me and what I want. How do I know if I have a divided heart? Well, I find that my prayers start being all about what I want God to do for me. I spend very little time worshiping God, just spending time thanking God for who He is and spend a lot of time just saying, how can you help me and what's going on? I have a divided heart when my words don't reflect what's really going on inside. I've been in church all my life. My mom was the organ player at our church. She played the organ the night I was born and was in church the next Sunday playing the organ again with me right there beside her. So I've been in church literally every moment of my life. I can talk Christianity better than anybody. I'm great at talking the talk. But I can do it even if I'm inside, I'm angry and resentful and fearful. And here's what happens. I'm a divided heart. I have this Christian facade that looks good. Inside, I've got this mess going on and it leaks out through the cracks. And how does it leak out? It leaks out through my words. Why? Because I have a divided heart. I say that God is my purpose and my center but the reality is I have put myself back into that place. And so I pray three prayers. Maybe, maybe these will be helpful for you. The first thing I do is I repent. I repent. I say, God, I am sorry for being so concerned about me. I've, I've done it again. I have put myself in the middle, and all I'm saying is give me, help me, do this, do this. I'm sorry. And then I release, and I say, God, I'm going to let go of the hurts, the fears, the disappointments, the anxiety, the things that I am worried about. I am going to let those things go. I'm going to release them to you. And then finally, I reset. And I say, God, in this moment, I want to reset my eyes on you. Now, this isn't a one and done prayer for me. This is often a multiple times during the day prayer. God, I am sorry. I have put myself back in the middle. God, I, I, I want to let go of all this stuff. I want to stop worrying about it. I've brought it to you. You've heard it. Now I want to let it go. And God, I want to reset my eyes on who you are and what you're doing in the world. And that's how I deal with having a divided heart. So sometimes it's a, it's a thirsty heart. It's just dry because I'm not connected. Sometimes it's a divided heart because I'm trying to be two different people and I'm not being real on either side of that. But sometimes my words come out and I cause damage and when I look at my heart, it's, it's a stressed heart. It's a stressed heart. My words lack wisdom because it's a symptom of stress. And honestly, to be <coughs> right now, <coughs> right now in my family, I've been walking through a very stressful time. Like, have you ever felt like maybe sometimes your family just has a target and like it's coming from every direction at the same time and you're like, hey, God, what, what, the, what, what the heck? That kind of feels like that right now, like in just different things. And, and, and the tiniest little extra thing just piles on top. Like I told you my car, my wife's car broke down this week and it's in the shop. 
And that's a tiny thing. Everybody deals with it. But when that happened, it was like the thing, the, the, the twig that, that, that overloaded everything. Like it was just, I can't take any more. And when I feel like that, when I feel so stressed out, my, I, I don't have any margin for patience or kindness or understanding. And my words will just fly without restraint and hurt people left and right. And they're not doing anything wrong. It's the stress that I'm feeling. Or maybe you go the other way. Maybe when you feel the stress, you get really, really quiet. And you don't talk to anybody. You just kind of withdraw from, from everybody. And it's because you have all of this stress and kind of give a silent treatment to those around you. And both of those are not, those are signs of a stressed heart. For you, maybe it's not circumstances, that's go, the, the, the stuff that's going on. It's just, it's just exhaustion. You're physically tired you're emotionally exhausted. You're out of energy. Maybe some of you would say, like me today, you would say, I have a stressed heart. I love what Jesus said about a stressed heart in Matthew chapter 11. He says this, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I love that first line. Come to me all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. You know, it's easy to see following Christ as kind of a, a task list. Like, do I pray? Yep, check. Did I read my Bible? Check. Did I go to church? Check. Part of a community group, check. Am I nice to my idiot neighbor? Eh. Semi-check. But that's not what Jesus is describing. He's describing rest. Sometimes, especially when we have a stressed heart, following Jesus is, it's a warm cup of coffee. It's a comfortable place to sit. It's music that soothes the soul. It's just sitting and experiencing God's presence. I've begun to experience this more in my life over the last few months. I, had a, uh, I, read, I read a book that really talked about spending time. They called it meditation, and that was a little strange word for me, but I read and tried to do kind of what they did, and, and it was good, but like, I just don't like to wait. I don't like quiet. I just go, 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 go. And so maybe for a minute or two I could do that, but then I needed to get back in. Then a few months ago, I was talking to my, my counselor. He's just an incredible Christian guy, Christian leader. And he said, Jeff, here's what I want you to do. I, I, I want you to put aside your checklist, your task list, all the things you need to get done. And I want you to just make room for Jesus. And, and so here's what it began to look like for me. I sit down in a chair at home, the same chair every time. And I, I have a warm cup of coffee in the morning. I put my earbuds in, I have a sound app, and on the sound app I have the sound of water kind of lapping against the shore at a lake. And I close my eyes, and there's nothing weird, as I know I'm in that chair, I don't get transported anywhere, but I just close my eyes, and I don't, I don't pray prayers, I don't read scripture at that time, I do that another time. But I just close my eyes and I see myself sitting by a lake. And it's interesting. Sometimes I see myself sitting by different lakes, but I always know the significance of that particular lake. 
And as I sit there, my simple prayer is, Jesus, just would you come and be with me? And I'll never forget a few months ago, the very first time I was just sitting and enjoying, honestly, the peace and the quiet and listening to the, the water sounds. And I became aware that there was a presence next to me. Again, nothing weird. I was, knew I was in my recliner at home. But in my mind, I could see myself by a lake on a log and next to me I look over and, and Jesus is sitting next to me on the log. He didn't say anything to me. He didn't say, Jeff, here's the things you need to do or here's the things you've done wrong or here's the things you need to learn. I just had this overwhelming sense of someone who loves me completely and likes me a lot and had no agenda in that moment, just coming and sitting by a lake with me and just enjoying the sound and the scenery together. Such a healing moment for me, such a healing thing. So this morning, I just want to take a moment and six months ago, if I had been sitting where you're sitting, I would have said, I'm not doing that. And I understand, that's okay. But for some of us, I'd like for us to just invite Jesus into this moment. I'd love for you to close your eyes. Aaron's playing just some soft music underneath. And I'd love for you just to kind of imagine a place of peace in your life. Maybe for you it is by a body of water, or maybe it's up in the mountains or by a beach. Or maybe it's just in your favorite chair at home, but a place that you find peace. And I want you to see yourself sitting in that place. And think about what you see, what you hear. And then let's just invite Jesus for the next few seconds to come and be in that place with us. Jesus, now we just... We want to be with you. Our hearts are tired, stressed, divided and dry. And Lord, in this moment, we want to sit and quietly do what the scripture says, be still, be quiet, and know that you are God. this moment, Lord, we just, um, I pray for those who are here, who, their heart is, is wounded. Maybe it's from words of other people. Maybe it's from the incredible stress of life. Maybe it's wounded because it's been too long since they've spent time with you. But Lord, we come, we all come with wounded hearts. I pray that you will do what the scripture says of pouring in the oil and the wine 
which brings healing to our soul. I pray for one who is here today who is not connected to you. Maybe he hasn't followed you and maybe, maybe you're that person you want to pray this prayer. Jesus, I, just, I want to be with you. I want to know what it is to be loved unconditionally. What it is to have a friend that the Bible describes, one who sticks closer than a brother. Lord, today I, I want to begin my journey of following you. Lord, I pray for all of us that over the next few moments here at Front Range as we worship together, I pray that we'll experience the incredible healing that comes only from being connected to you. And Lord, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.